0: Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 131 Growth Drivers. Hi, I'm Neil. Apple's growth story has returned with a vengeance. If we look back at the past few quarters that Apple reported, there's been a theme Apple has been on a roll. The company's seeing record high iPhone average selling prices. We're seeing very strong momentum with services. Apple Watch and wireless AirPods are contributing. To a growing wearables platform. When you take a closer look at how Apple is growing, it becomes evident that Apple's three primary growth levers are not created equal. Today's episode is going to be focused on those growth levers. I think some of Apple's growth drivers will slow going forward, while others are just getting started. The topic of Apple and growth has been a controversial one in recent years. There was a growing debate that Apple would struggle to find growth, especially with a smartphone business that is maturing. Unit sales slowing down. Average selling prices were expected to remain stable or maybe decline slightly. People looked at the rest of Apple's business and they didn't quite see where growth would come from. iPad, Mac, that didn't seem to really add up. People would look at Apple Watch and conclude it was really just a footnote in Apple's financials. Same thing with Apple TV. Then you started to see increasing focus put on services. And I would say, especially over the past year or so, it sure seemed like the boilerplate language found in most Apple articles were something along the lines of Apple has turned to services to offset slowing growth found with the iPhone business. The funny thing is, when you take a look at how Apple is actually growing, it's not what consensus thought. It's not just because of services. In fact, nearly 70% of Apple's growth is ultimately from hardware sales. Now, if we go back a few years, early 2016, Apple hit a rough patch. There's no question about it. The company reported its first year-over-year decline in iPhone unit sales. This was when Apple was selling the iPhone 6S and 6S Plus. Ultimately, what was going on here was the sales cycle for those two flagship phones were proving very different From that of iPhone 6 and 6 Plus, I would go so far as to say management struggled at this point, trying to figure out upgrade patterns, trying to figure out who exactly would buy a phone every two years, or maybe even every year. So with iPhone unit sales declining, Apple's overall revenue trends also turned negative. Back in the second quarter of 2016 and the third quarter of 2016, Apple reported a double-digit decline in revenue. And so the narrative around Apple back at this time was seemingly negative. Now, again, I think in reality things were not as bad as it seemed. When you look at the iPhone business, new user trends remained fine. And I think that was very important to note. Of course, many people didn't note that. So just as consensus began to throw in the towel, on Apple as a growth story, iPhone unit sales stabilized. Over at aboveavalin.com, in this week's weekly article, I have a number of exhibits that include some of this data. In Exhibit 1, I have Apple revenue on a trailing 12-month basis. And what you can see in this exhibit is that revenue bottomed in early 2017. That's just when iPhone unit sales really did stabilize. From that point, Apple's revenue has been increasing. In fact, the most recent quarter, the third quarter, 2018, marked a record high for Apple revenue on a trailing 12-month basis. And it was the seventh consecutive quarter of sequential growth in revenue. What does that mean? It means Apple's been on a roll. It means that growth has returned to this story, and that Apple is actually relying on a few levers to. Propel that growth. We are going to focus on the big three iPhone, services, and wearables. We'll go into each in a little bit more detail in a few minutes, but for the most part, with iPhone, it's the average selling price. In fact, the average selling price of iPhone is up $100 year over year. It's a very large increase. The next driver services. Apple is seeing strong revenue growth. From distributing content, App Store, iTunes, Apple Music, licensing, Apple Care. And the third driver, wearables. Apple's wearables platform is gaining sales momentum, driven by Apple Watch and wireless AirPods. The interesting thing about this new Apple growth story is that few people were forecasting that Apple would grow revenue via hardware sales. Many people thought that ship had sailed and said the only chance Apple had a growth was to come up with new services and target those services to existing Apple users. You start to hear phrases such as milking users of profit, taking your existing users and trying to get as much money from them as possible. Maybe a more polite way of saying that is Trying to figure out how to monetize your existing users in new ways. As it turns out, things are developing differently than consensus assumed. What I did was I went back over the past 12 months and I took a look at what has been driving Apple revenue growth. And specifically, I wanted to see what portion of revenue growth is attributed to each of the three drivers iPhone, services and wearables. This is Exhibit 2 over at this week's article. And what I discovered was that for the 12 months ending this past June, iPhone was responsible for 57% of Apple's year-over-year revenue growth. So what that means is nearly 60% of Apple growth is due to growth in the iPhone business. Services was the second largest revenue driver, but it was responsible for only 23% of Apple's year-over-year revenue growth. Then, and I think this is probably most surprising, wearables responsible for 11% of Apple's revenue growth. So about half of what services represented. And if you take a closer look at those three percentages over the past year, The obvious trend is iPhone has been responsible for an increasing portion of Apple's revenue growth. If we combine the 57% of year-over-year revenue growth attributed to iPhone with the 11% attributed to wearables, that's where I get that 70% of Apple revenue growth is driven by hardware sales. That's a percentage that's very high, and I think that's what really is surprising a lot of people. At this point, it is helpful to take a closer look at the factors underpinning Apple's three primary growth drivers. The first, iPhone. In the third quarter of 2018, iPhone revenue was up 20% year over year. That may not seem that shocking, but I think when you go back to 2016 and you see how Apple really did have a tough stretch back then 20% is pretty good. I would say it's it's very good. The vast majority of that 20% revenue growth was due to Apple selling higher priced iPhones. The growth is not necessarily coming from Apple simply selling more iPhones. And so the iPhone 8 and 8 Plus are the highest-priced 4.7-inch and 5.5-inch iPhones, respectively, to date. We have the iPhone X. It's Apple's highest-priced iPhone yet. And so what these phones have done is they've driven iPhone average selling price to new record highs. iPhone ASP experienced a step increase beginning in the first quarter of 2018. That was the first quarter where we had iPhone 8 and 8-plus sales, in addition to the iPhone X launch. The thing is, this boost in iPhone average selling price, it wasn't just temporary. It wasn't short-term. It's been ongoing. The momentum is there. In fact, for the third quarter of 2018, Apple reported a record-high $119 year-over-year increase in iPhone average selling price. According to my estimates, Apple has sold approximately 120 million flagship iPhones since September 2017. So that's 8, 8 plus, and 10. Well, who bought 120 million flagship iPhones? Some of those devices were bought by former Android users switching to iPhone. In the U.S., maybe we can look at some Samsung users in that group. The thing is, there are only so many premium Android users out there, and that has been a headwind for Apple in terms of the iPhone business. Instead, I think the majority of sales have likely gone to existing iPhone users, upgrading their devices. So if you take a look at the iPhone installed base, and that is a conservative number, made up of people who have bought their iPhone directly from either Apple or a third-party retailer. Essentially, that means we're not talking about people using pre-owned iPhones or hand-me-down iPhones. That's, those people are part of the user base, a much higher number. But sticking with the more conservative install base figure, my estimate: is the iPhone install base is approximately 750 million users. So if we take that number and compare it to my estimate of how many iPhone 8, 8 Plus, and 10 devices Apple sold, I think less than 15% of the iPhone install base bought a new flagship iPhone over the last nine months. What does that tell us? A small percentage of the iPhone install base is responsible for driving much of the year over year increase in iPhone average selling price. Now, I make this point not to suggest iPhone ASPs are more fragile than they appear. Instead, I make the point to add clarity to the current state of the iPhone business. The iPhone upgrade cycle continues to get longer. Growth in customer demand remains mediocre. It's around low single digit growth year over year. However, despite those challenges, the sheer size of the iPhone install base, there are just simply so many people using iPhones, it makes it possible for Apple to sell close to 150000000 million higher-priced flagship iPhones in any given year. We now turn to the second growth driver, services. We actually talked about Apple services somewhat recently back in episode 126 titled Let's Talk Apple Services. So if you want a full episode about services, just head on back to episode 126. For today's episode, we'll just go over the basic here. We'll, we'll look at the big picture. The five items that make up Apple services are digital content, it's like App Store, Apple Music, iTunes, licensing, Care, iCloud Storage, and Apple Pay. A majority of Apple's services revenue is associated with Apple distributing digital content to hundreds of millions of people via the App Store and iTunes. Accordingly, as the number of people accessing Apple's various content stores increase, combined with existing users spending more money as time goes on, we have a key revenue driver that is pushing services revenue to all-time highs. There's licensing revenue. It's another key contributor to revenue growth. Third parties are paying Apple more to get their services in front of Apple's users. Given how Apple has strengthened its grip on premium users over the past couple years, that licensing revenue is shooting higher. There's also AppleCare revenue. That's on the rise as the number of Apple devices in the wild increases. Apple has also been expanding its AppleCare distribution efforts. The third revenue driver, which probably won't come as a complete surprise to above Avalon readers and listeners since we talk about this a lot, (laughs) wearables. Apple is seeing strong unit sales growth for both Apple Watch and AirPods. In just three years... Apple Watch sales have exceeded 20 million units per year, and the user base is nearing 40 million people. I did want to point out, whenever I talk about an estimate in this podcast, I go over the math and methodology used to derive that estimate in the daily updates that are sent to Above Avalon members. I know some people may just come up with estimates and they don't really explain how they actually reached that estimate, I think it's important to know what my assumptions are, how I'm going about getting that estimate. So if you ever have a question about a particular estimate discussed in these episodes, they're talked about in the daily updates. Turning back to wireless AirPods, despite extended supply issues, Apple likely sold more than 10 million pairs of AirPods during the first year on the market. For calendar year 2018, it is possible that Apple sells 20 million pairs of wireless AirPods. It's a huge number. And as a growing number of people have been telling me, when you go out in public, and it really doesn't matter where you go, it could be in small cities, big cities, airports, schools, universities, you're seeing wireless AirPods everywhere. When you take a look at why AirPods and Apple Watch have done so well, I think we can point to Apple's aggressive pricing. These things, they really are underpriced compared to the competition. I mentioned that in the beginning. I still feel that today. Both are benefiting from strong mind share, growing word of mouth. We have increased distribution, especially when you look at that cellular Apple Watch Series 3. That's something that I don't think a lot of people have fully taken into account. So when you take a look at Apple wearable unit sales, as a percent of overall unit sales, so overall Apple gadgets, you're noticing something here. In Exhibit 4, which is, by the way, one of my favorite Apple charts, it tracks Apple gadget unit sales over the past 20 years, Apple wearables have become a thing. They are representing a larger portion of Apple's business. It's only a matter of time before Apple wearables outsells iPad. It's already outselling Mac. When it comes to looking ahead, thinking about how Apple's revenue growth drivers will perform in the coming quarters and it's important to assess the broader environment facing each driver. At the same time, I think we have to look at Apple's product strategy. We have to weigh what will be the impact from new products or from pricing decisions. We'll start with iPhone. Out of Apple's three revenue growth drivers, I think the iPhone faces the most headwinds in the near term. Yes, Apple can still grow iPhone revenue from modest unit sales growth. You don't have to have 10 20% unit sales growth. You can do 2 3%. If you have stable average selling price, that's going to give you some type of growth. However, Apple will likely see less of a revenue boost from huge iPhone average selling price gains. It's going to be difficult for Apple to increase iPhone average selling price by another $100 in 2019. Instead, I think iPhone average selling price increases will likely decline in the near term. When you take a look at these upcoming new flagship iPhones, Apple is expected to unveil three new models. You have a 6.5 inch OLED, 5.8 inch OLED, and the 6.1 inch LCD. Even if we assume that the large 6.5 inch OLED, you can think of this as say a larger version of the iPhone 10, even if that model is priced higher than iPhone 10, it's probably not going to have as large of an impact on iPhone average selling price as the iPhone 10. Because this 6.5 inch phone Is going to represent a smaller share of overall iPhone sales. Instead, the majority of iPhone sales will likely be found with the 6.1 inch LCD and the 5.8 inch OLED iPhones. These models will likely be priced similar to this year's flagship iPhones. That's why I think it's going to be that much harder for Apple to see another step increase in iPhone average selling price. Turning to services the environment is very different. Instead of there being a major headwind, Apple Services stands to benefit from a number of factors that are coming together to support robust Apple Services revenue trends. At the top, so this is the big tailwind, this is the big supporting fact about Apple Services. They are benefiting from continued growth in the iPhone install base. So as new users enter the install base, they are spending money on digital content, on Apple Care, possibly on iCloud Storage. You have Apple eventually getting more money through licensing. And the thing is that this takes time to play out. So if someone buys their first iPhone, I think you have to really actually go out maybe two or three years before you start to see this person, this user, really contribute in terms of Apple services revenue. At the same time, larger industry themes, such as growing popularity around video subscription services, that stands to benefit Apple services revenue. Actually, it stands to benefit in a few ways. You have Apple... Earning a share of revenue via third party video subscription services, so like Netflix. And then, of course, you have Apple widely expected to launch its own paid video streaming service in 2019. That's obviously going to contribute to Apple services. When you look at additional growth levers, such as the licensing fees, the Apple Care, iCloud, there is still opportunity for Apple to grow each one of those items over time. In a scenario where iPhone revenue growth slows because you don't have as large of an increase in iPhone average selling price, it is reasonable to expect services will represent a larger portion of Apple's revenue growth in 2019. Now, at this point, you may have some people saying, well, see, I told you, we've been saying this for years. Apple's growth is all about Services. So we were just wrong in 2018. We didn't see the iPhone thing. But in 2019, we're going to be right. Not quite. (laughs) And that's because of Apple's third growth driver, wearables. In my view, Apple's wearable segment will likely serve as an Apple revenue growth engine for years. And I would go so far as to say, I think this is the wild card when it comes to growth, say, over the next one, two, or three years. The days of Apple wearables being considered a rounding error or a revenue footnote are over. Over the past 12 months, Apple sold over $10 billion of wearables, and that includes Apple Watch, wireless AirPods, and Beats. If we assume Apple is able to maintain at least 30% to 40% unit sales growth over the next few years. It could certainly be higher than that. It could also be lower than that. But let's just say 30 to 40% unit sales growth. Within that range, Apple's Wearables platform will reach $20 billion of annual revenue within three years. When you then look at the relatively low adoption rates for Apple Watch and AirPods within the Apple user base, There are plenty of potential users left to fuel unit sales growth. And then over the long run, this is where things become really interesting. Apple will likely expand the wearables platform to include other things besides just Apple Watch, AirPods, and Beats. We're going to be looking at new form factors, looking at likely new product categories. I think all of those developments will add even more growth potential to Apple's wearable segment. When we look at the big picture, in the last two quarterly earnings conference calls, Tim Cook has talked about the smartphone market as being one of the best for a company like Apple. And you could go back through the history of the world, the smartphone is just. Amazing for Apple. That's according to Tim Cook. When we look at sales trends, you could see how Cook arrives at that conclusion. There aren't too many markets out there that are capable of supporting 215 million iPhones a year with an average selling price exceeding $750. That's pretty remarkable. The thing is, read between the lines. Cook's confidence regarding the smartphone signals Apple's belief that nothing will displace smartphones as the most valuable computer in our lives in the near term. During this past earnings conference call, an analyst questioned Cook about Apple's presence in the home. And based on his answer, It didn't make it seem like Apple management was too worried about stationary smart speakers really interrupting smartphones or being able to take so many tasks or workflows that are currently given to smartphones. They didn't seem that worried about it. Much of Tim Cook's optimism around smartphones is also supported by recent Apple financial trends. We can see, based on revenue growth, that the primary driver is iPhone. Services and wearables are serving in more of a supporting role in terms of Apple growth. Now, again, as we just said, that may start to change, especially in 2019 as we go ahead. But as of now, I think a lot of people are surprised by the resiliency found with the iPhone business. The thing is, just because Tim Cook speaks so highly of iPhone, that doesn't mean that Apple is betting on iPhone over the long run. This point may become a little bit more clear when the growth spotlight does turn to digital content distribution and wearables as Apple's primary growth engines. Apple continues to place bets on new products. Products that have the potential to gradually serve as iPhone alternatives and not replacements. In essence, Apple wants to be the one to disrupt the iPhone. They want to be the one that introduces an iPhone alternative. Now, these iPhone alternatives, which most likely will have to be powered or supported by iPhone out of the gate, they will be initially viewed as rudimentary or even as toys. However, these products will be placed on the path to independency from iPhone. We have a great example of this, Apple Watch. Taking a look at the largest features that have been added to Apple Watch since launch, they've all been focused on adding independency to the product. Going forward, Apple Glasses have the potential to be an even bigger catalyst for Apple growth. While all of this is going on, we also are seeing Apple gain confidence in delivering services focused on distributing digital content and adding value to hardware that's used by a billion users. As the average number of Apple products per user increases, and we could look at wearables as a main factor in that, these services will prove essential in delivering personalized, and proactive solutions to the Apple community. What's one example of such a solution? The Sari watch face. You're combining familiarity in terms of the screen with something new in terms of proactive digital assistant. This strategy of combining wearables with services establishes the core of a post-iPhone era at Apple. This strategy will provide Apple years of revenue growth opportunity. And I think if we start looking out a little bit more into the future, I think this strategy paves the way for Apple's eventual entrance into the transportation industry. That's going to do it for today's episode. As mentioned a few minutes ago, if you would like more information on all of the financial estimates the sizes of the iPhone, Apple Watch, install bases, all of those numbers are discussed in further detail in my daily updates all about Apple. In addition to going over my financial estimates, daily updates also go over Apple business and strategy analysis. We also go over my perspective and observations on current news, Apple competitors, Apple keynotes and events. If it is of interest to Apple, It is something I pay attention to in the daily updates. These daily updates serve as the cornerstone of Above Avalon membership. So if you enjoy these podcast episodes, if you enjoy reading the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com and you want more of this type of analysis throughout the week, I think Above Avalon membership is something you might want to check out. For more information on membership, head on over to AboveAvalon.com. And then go to the membership page to take a look at all of the previous topics that I talk about in the daily updates. Head on over to AboveAvalon.com and go to the daily updates page. As a member, you do have access to an archive, so you can go back and read previous daily updates. Avalon members also have access to a form, so you can chat with other Above Avalon members. There is access to my Apple earnings model, which is a new feature. And there's access to something that I'm calling Reports. This is a new kind of Apple analysis that we'll be launching very soon. All of that will be, again, available to Above Avalon members. There are two membership options available. There is a monthly option for $20 per month, and there is an annual option for $200 per year. Above Avalon is fully sustained by memberships. So if you are currently an Above Avalon member, thank you for your support. And if you're thinking about becoming an Above Avalon member, thank you in advance. I think you are going to have a great time. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all later. Bye.